Our church is in a 40-day period of seeking the Lord for revival. That is a movement, movement of God's Spirit, an outpouring of His Holy Spirit in our individual lives, in our families, in our community, and in our church. And this week, as we move through these devotionals together, we have focused on the fear of the Lord, trust versus worry, rejecting materialism, being a servant. All of that that we're doing, of daily as a congregation, in our homes, going to the Lord in prayer, sharing the same passages of Scripture together, the same thoughts, journaling what uh, God is teaching us in our minds, hearts, uh, and those devotionals, if you don't have one, are available in the information table out here, is for the purpose of getting us in touch with what God is doing, getting in on what God is doing. And how do we do that? In this room right now, there is the potential and the possibility for Wi-Fi connection. Now, you and I sitting in this room looking around here do not see the ways to make the Wi-Fi connection possible. But if you get the right password and you've got an iPhone or an iPad you can make the connection. And the key to getting in on what God is doing is getting the right password. If you turn with me in the book of Acts, chapter 8, we're going to see a man by the name of Philip who got the right password to get in on what God was doing and God strategically moved him around and placed him where he needed and wanted to place Philip so that Philip got in on what God was doing and by following Philip's example, we can do the same thing. As you turn to the book of Acts, chapter 8, we're going to begin at verse 26. And my sermon outline is contained as an insert in your bulletin. Let's look at this background to this passage of Scripture. Acts is the story of the first Christians. And in this story, we're going to meet a guy named Philip. Philip was a respected member of the Jerusalem church. He was one of the first deacons to serve in that early church. He had four daughters who had the gift and the ministry and the calling of prophecy. He ministers in Samaria prior to this story. And this particular story takes place on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. What we would know today is the Gaza Strip. It is a small, narrow piece of land, runs parallel with the Mediterranean Sea, and it is desert-like. The place where he's called here in this Gaza area was the last watering place from Jerusalem as you made your way to Egypt. Now, we will meet in this story an Ethiopian eunuch. Let me give you some background there. The Ethiopian kingdom was the ancient kingdom of Meroe. And it flourished between 8 B.C. and 4 B.C. It was ruled by powerful queen mothers who carried the title of Candace. You will see the term Candace used in the scriptures here. That was not the queen's name. That was a title that they used similar to how we would use the term president. The ethnicity of this kingdom was African. The, the Ethiopian eunuch here would have been a God-fearing Gentile. And he was in charge of the treasury of the queen, and we would call that person today the secretary of the treasury, would correspond to that in our government. He would have been a very much of a trusted royal servant. 
Now, as a eunuch, he would have been barred from the inner courts of the temple area. So when it mentions that he had gone to Jerusalem to worship, the center of Jewish worship was the temple in Jerusalem. And that temple had courts to it. And if you were a Gentile, you could go into the first court called the court of the Gentiles. The second court was called the court of the women, and that was so-called because it was the last court that women could go into. The third court was the court of the men, and that's so-called because if you were male but not a priest, you could go into that court, and then the final court was the court of the priest, and then you had the temple itself. As a eunuch, he would have been permitted only into the first court. He would not have been permitted into the inner courts, and therefore he would have stood at a distance Uh, to look at the temple and to worship the Lord, more of a distance than most people had. Keep that in the back of your mind as the story unfolds. He is reading aloud here from the book of Isaiah, and it was a practice in the ancient Middle Eastern culture that when you read, you read aloud. The scroll of Isaiah that he has here, he probably purchased in Jerusalem, and it would have been the Greek version of the Old Testament. For you scholars, it was known as the Septuagint. And we believe that probably was what he was reading from. And God is working in his heart in preparing him for this encounter that he's going to have with Philip. Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Arise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And Philip arose and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep who was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to him some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, And he passed through, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. The first truth I want us to observe in this passage today is that God is at work all around us. We need to recognize 
that God is at work all around us. Notice in verse 26, this is that the angel commanded Philip to go over and to join that eunuch that was in the chariot there. What God was trying to do with Philip is to put Philip in the middle of what he was doing. Philip was a great guy, but he didn't have the wisdom to be able to discern what God was doing. And so God sent an angel to him to say, Philip, I want you to go down to Gaza. And I want you, when you get down there, you're going to just follow me and what I'm going to tell you to do. And so when he saw that chariot, he says, I want you to go to that chariot and I want you to join that chariot. Now, folks, a lot of times we struggle with where does God want me and what does God want me to do? And I don't want you to be offended at what I'm about to say, okay? But you and I do not have enough sense to know where we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing in the will of God. We just don't have enough sense to pull that one off. And you know something? The Lord understands that. God places what He wants us to do and where He wants us to be underneath our nose. He makes it simple. We're the ones who make it difficult. And too many times we are looking way out here trying to find the will of God and the call of God and God's saying... It's right underneath your nose if you will look. I know. I love you, but I know you don't have enough sense to be able to look way out there and find it, okay? So I'm not going to stick it way out there and hide it behind the bush because you couldn't figure that one out, and I understand you couldn't figure that one out. So I'm going to place it right underneath your nose. When I first went to South Norfolk Baptist to be the pastor in Chesapeake, I was in a community that was deep inner city, uh, another cultural background from mine, another socioeconomic background from mine. And I remember sitting in my office day after day saying, God, I don't have a clue. and I just don't have a clue, Lord. And after a while, the Lord started showing me, I know you were clueless. I've known you were clueless for a long time. You were just waking up to the fact that you were clueless. And because you are so clueless, I'm putting the ministry opportunities right underneath your nose, David. Stop looking way out here and start looking at what I've got in front of you. And it took a while for me to connect the dots. But one of the stories I love to tell is the first year we were there and we were doing shrimp, we were coming up uh, on a community center called the Cuffey Center where we were doing a Bible school inside that community center. And as I drove up, I looked down, and in this huge field beside the Cuffey Center, there were a bunch of boys playing football or practicing football. And the thought hit me, once I discharge the mission team here, I'm going to go down there and see if I can find the head coach. And since i got a team, maybe we can give them some water, and maybe the head coach will let us at least talk to the boys a little bit about Jesus. So, uh, I, didn't, I mean, I didn't know anything. I just saw a bunch of boys down there. And what I begin to realize is that God will put all kinds of things right in front of you. But you, we, we just have to discern that. So I went down there and uh, walked up and I said, I need to find the head coach. And they said, we're going to bring you over. They brought me up here, a guy named James Simons. James was at that time uh, in the United States Navy. He was a CB. And uh, I walked up and I said, my name is David Slate, and I'm the pastor of South Norfolk Baptist Church. And he looked at me and he says, you're the pastor of South Norfolk Baptist? And I said, yes. He says, I've been trying to get a hold of you for two weeks. He says, I've got 115 boys here that I want to connect to your church. Well, you could have pushed me over with a feather at that point. 
Five minutes later, I'm on my knees in that football field with a hundred plus young men praying with them. That led to a football ministry, it led to a basketball ministry, and we were able to share Christ with I don't know how many young men over the next eight and a half years through those sports ministries. But I couldn't have come up with something like that. So God just brought it literally right under my nose and boom there it was so God's going to speak to you but you and I have got to realize he's at work all around us and just discern what he's putting right under your nose and how he wants to use you now God says to Philip Philip I want you to go down to the desert verse 26 he says Philip rise and go to the desert now imagine being Philip God, I want to be used of you. Lord, I just had a great ministry in Samaria. And God says, go to the desert. Well, Lord, there's nothing going on in the desert. It is dry. It is hot. And nobody in his right mind hangs out in the desert. But God knew that there was a eunuch a man of influence who was coming through the desert. God knew that he was strategically placing that guy in the desert. God knew that that man was a treasurer in one of the highest places in that world in that day, that by placing him there and getting the gospel to that man, it would give him an automatic entry to the queen of Ethiopia and open up the gospel to Ethiopia. But Philip didn't know any of that. All he knew was God was sending him to the desert. And folks, God is going to send you to some deserts. And God's going to call you and send you to some places that you're going to stand back and think, how in the world can God use me in that place? Please write this down. And I got it in your notes. Our understanding does not condition the activity of God. Our understanding does not condition the activity of God. Just because I don't see anything happening doesn't mean God's not at work. Just because I don't discern that God's not at work in a situation does not keep God from being at work. Just because I'm not discerning it does not hold the Lord back from being at work. And folks, all of us are going to pull some desert time. God is going to send all of us to some deserts. And we're going to stand in those places in life and we're going to say, God, I don't see what you're doing here. I cannot discern anything. God, I just, it's hard for me to believe that you're up to anything in the desert. But some of God's greatest work that he did in Scripture and in the history of his work was in the desert. God met Moses in the desert and called him. God called Abraham out into the desert. Jesus spent 40 days in the desert. John the Baptist met God in the desert and was called out of the desert. I can go on and on with how God took one person after another and took them into the desert. Why does God call us to deserts? Because in the desert, God eliminates all the distractions and all the options. All you've got in the desert is Jesus. So you see, when God gets rid of all of the options and all the distractions and there's no one but Him and you in the desert, then God starts doing some stuff. 
You remember what happened with Moses? He got in the desert on the backside of the desert. It's bad enough being in the desert, but when you're on the backside of the desert, that means it is really quiet and really dry and really hot and really barren. And Moses is on the backside of the desert, and he sees that bush that's burning, but it's not consumed, and he's curious, and he walks up, and he says, man, what's going on here? And God says, take your shoes off your feet, Moses. Why? Because you're on holy ground. I'm on holy ground Moses got his shoes off as fast as he could because when God tells you on the holy ground and you know you're in the presence of the Lord, you do what God tells you to do. You get your shoes off because you're on holy ground. You see, what makes the ground holy is not the surroundings, it's the presence of God. And you see, folks, when God calls you to a desert, you're on holy ground. Everybody around may say that's not holy ground, but if you know you're there and you're recognizing the presence of God, you are on holy ground. And those desert places in life that God calls us to are holy ground because He is there. People will look at you in those situations and they'll tell you that you are crazy because you are in that place, going to that desert, hanging out in that desert, waking for a word of God in that desert. Because the work of God always looks crazy to human beings. Because God doesn't do it our way. Doesn't do it in our place. Now, one of the reasons God creates those lonely times in our lives, those desert times in our lives, is to understand that we are never alone. Oh, please hear me on this. God's going to take all of us to a place that He's going to eliminate all the noise. Sometimes He has to take our our iPhone away from us. We will live. Sometimes He has to take our technology away from us. We will live. Sometimes He has to take the social media away from us. We will live. Sometimes God has to take a whole lot of things out. And we're standing there and we're saying, God, I feel so alone. And God says, you're not alone. You're not alone. But I had to get rid of everything else for you to realize who is with you. Folks, when you realize in the depths of our our hearts that Jesus is standing there, you're not alone. Over the years that I've been a pastor, I've said to, to folks when they've lost someone, they go to the graveside And they leave the body of that loved one in that casket going to the ground. You may feel alone. But Jesus walks out of the cemetery with you. You don't walk out of here by yourself. He walks with you. And whatever place we find ourselves in life, life, when we're in that desert place, God is saying, you are not alone. Now, in Eastern culture... They ask the question, who is at work? And they discover it's God. What is God doing? And they search for an answer. But in the West, we ask, why is God doing this? And that's where we get messed up. Instead of asking who, we ask why. Don't allow the why question To stump you and stop you and frustrate you. So many believers in Western culture can't get past why. Because we are trained to analyze everything. 
and put everything through a scientific type of equation. And when you try to live, if you try to live the Christian life, always getting an answer to the why question, you'll never get anywhere with Jesus. Because a lot of times, most of the time, he's not going to tell you why. I mean, you can beg him, fuss at him, tell him you're not going to serve him. You've had it with him. Believe me, I've been there and played that game with God. Why don't you tell me why? I'm not doing a thing for you till you tell me why. And God's like, well, then you're going to sit on your blessed assurance for a while because I'm not telling you why. Because <laughs> if I tell you why, A, you wouldn't understand me because you don't understand my ways. And if I tell you why, you, don't, you wouldn't trust me. You're not going to trust me. The issue is who, not why. Who are you serving? The King of kings and the Lord of lords and the fairest of 10,000, the creator of this world. Who are you serving? The one who died on the cross for you and rose again from the dead for you. Who are you serving? The one who's going to come again for you. Who are you serving? The King of kings and the Lord of lords. Who are you? I am in Christ. I am a son of my heavenly Father. Well, if that's all that's going, I don't need an answer to why because I know who. And I know who I am in Christ. We join Him. This is the password. By obedience. We join God in what He's doing by obedience. Notice verse 27. He says, Philip, go to the desert. So what does Philip do? Verse 27, he arose and went. Verse 29, the Spirit tells Philip, I want you to go over and join the chariot. The Greek word for join there literally means glue yourself to something. He's saying go over there and glue yourself to that chariot. Now, Philip responds, and oh, don't miss this. Philip gets in on what God is doing with what I call immediate obedience. Immediate obedience. When God says go to the desert, Philip doesn't procrastinate. He goes straight to the desert. When he gets in the desert and he sees that chariot that's coming down the road and he says, I want you to go to that chariot and I want you to glue yourself to that chariot. I want you to listen to what's going on in that chariot. I want you to get in touch with what I'm doing in that chariot. Get to that chariot. Philip doesn't sit there and say, well, what in the world are you talking about, God? Philip runs to the chariot. You catch the verb there. He didn't walk to the chariot. He didn't skip to the chariot. He didn't stand there and think about the chariot for a while. He runs to the chariot. Because when God says go to the chariot, you get to that chariot as fast as you can because God is at work there and you're getting in on the work of God. You see, the problem with so many times with us is it is not that we don't really seriously know what God wants us to do. It's we are procrastinating on what God has told us He wants us to do. And we are often missing out on the work of God because we procrastinate ourselves away from it. Well, I'll do it tomorrow. Well, I'll get to it next week. Well, I'm really scared to go there with God. And a lot of times when we say, well, I don't have a clue as to what God wants, it's not because God's not telling us, it's because we're telling God, that's not really what I like, and that's really not what I want, and that's not my idea, I'm going to put this off. You see, if Philip had procrastinated, he wouldn't have heard the eunuch reading from the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. If he had procrastinated, he would have gotten there and not heard it, not known what was going on. He would have missed the question. But because he ran to the chariot, because he got up there, and because he was listening, 
He runs up there, and God said, glue to the, yourself to the chariots. So and he gets up there, and when they, those chariots in those days had a sideboard. He got up on the sideboard, got up there as close to that guy, and he started listening. He said, I recognize what that guy's reading. He's reading from Isaiah. So he looks at the eunuch, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? I love his question. Do you understand what you're reading? And the guy looks at him and says, how can I unless somebody tells me? Can you? I wish I'd have had a blood pressure cuff on Philip. Can you imagine how his blood pressure would have spiked? Well, that man said, somebody tell me. Just that moment in that second, Philip would have stood there and said, this is why God told me to come to the desert. This is why God told me to get up in this chariot. Because there is a divine, eternal thing going on in this desert by this chariot. And I just got in on what God is doing. I would imagine if Philip had had the chance, but he had to tell him about Jesus. And when he finished telling him about Jesus and baptized him, I just, I don't, the Bible doesn't say this, but I have a feeling that Philip did a holy dance in that desert. That's what I would have done. Ooh, I found out what God was doing, and I got in on what God was doing, and I saw a man come to Jesus in the desert today. So he begins to share with him that immediate obedience. And as he's doing that, he sits down beside him and he takes that scroll. Oh, can you imagine hearing what he said? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Oh, let me tell you, Jesus hung on that cross just a few months ago. And he shed his blood and he took your sin on himself and he was beaten for you he was bruised for you he died for you and three days later he rose from the dead for you and today you can be saved today he can change your life what you were hungering and thirsting for on the inside Jesus is here and he'll give it to you right now if you will open up your life and trust him can you imagine how that, the face on that eunuch must have changed? He said, I went to Jerusalem to worship. And I, I got to Jerusalem, but I left empty. I, something was missing, and I can't figure out what it was. And I stood at the temple courts, and I looked in. And Philip was saying to him, you don't have to look at the distance anymore. He's right here beside you, and he wants to come into your life right now. The guy says, can I be baptized? Now follow me on this. Philip knew the word of God, and that's why he could share the word of God with the eunuch. Your study today of God's word opens up the opportunities of tomorrow. Oh, your study of the word of God today will open up for you the opportunities of tomorrow. That's why it's so important to study the word every day. Because your study today of God's word will get you ready for the opportunities of tomorrow. I love what it says he did, verse 35. It says he shared with him the good news about Jesus. He shared with him the good news about Jesus. Now y'all going to need to be patient with me for just a minute, okay? It says he shared with him the good news about Jesus. Can you say those two last words with me? About 
Jesus. Can you say the last word with me? Jesus. Let's say it again. Jesus. Let's say it one more time. Jesus. And the reason I'm asking you to do that, folks, is we can go and do all kinds of nice things with people and for people, and that's appropriate. But if we don't share with them the good news, not about us, but about Jesus, it is nothing but hot air. It may be well-meaning hot air, but it is nothing but hot air. People have got to hear the good news, not about us, but about Jesus. If we walk out of sight and we do ministry and we don't talk about Jesus and we walk away and they say they're good people, they can die and go to hell saying the people of Rocky Mountain Baptist are good people. But if we walk on a site and we tell people about Jesus, the important thing is not that they say they're good people of Rocky Mountain. It's a good, the important thing is that they say they serve a great Savior and His name is Jesus Christ. That's what God has called us to be about. It is the good news about Jesus. That's why our teams that are being trained right now, we give you these wrist bracelets and we train you how to take John 3.16 and move through the bracelet and share the good news of Jesus Christ with people. That's why in two weeks we will walk into those neighborhoods and walk to those kids and if need be go door to door and pass out a thousand copies of God's word and put them in people's hands because we've got to get the good news about Jesus to people. Now, I want you to see something in verse 37. The eunuch looks over at Philip, and he says, Philip, what hinders me from being baptized? Now, think about the eunuch. He'd just been to Jerusalem, and because it was a eunuch, he couldn't go into the inner courts of the temple, which meant he couldn't get close to the presence of God. Can I be baptized? I, I couldn't get very far in the temple. So, so can I really get close to God? Can I be baptized? Second, he was a Gentile. All the Christians he'd ever known and met were Jews. I'm a Gentile. Can I be baptized? He was Ethiopian, which meant he was black. All the Christians he had met were Jewish, and they didn't have black skin. Can I be baptized? I'm black. I'm Gentile. I'm a eunuch. I got three strikes against me. Can, can, can I be baptized? Now, Philip is sitting there. Philip knows he's a Gentile. Philip can see that he's black. Philip knows if he baptizes him, he's liable to get into some trouble because he's breaking all kinds of cultural backgrounds, all kinds of cultural norms. So Philip can go back and get in trouble with the church in Jerusalem, possibly, because he is baptizing an Ethiopian Gentile guy. And what does Philip say? Philip looks at him straight in the face and says, nothing hinders you from being baptized. Let's hit the water as fast as we can. And down they come and down they go and they get baptized. Can you imagine what that eunuch must have been sensing as he got down off of that chariot I wasn't allowed into the inner courts, but now I'm going straight into the presence of God in the name of Jesus. He has pulled back the veil, and he's let me through the first court, the second court, the third court, into the temple, and all the way back to the Holy of Holies, because when you know the Son, you get access to everything. Oh, how he would have felt when he came off of there and he said, 
my Ethiopian background, the color of my skin doesn't matter, of being diddly to God. God made me this way. God created me this way. God has saved me this way. And I'm going to serve Him the way He's made me. And I may be a Gentile, but Jesus died on the cross and shed His blood for Gentiles just like He did for Jews, just like He did for everybody. And let's go down there. You know what Philip was saying by his actions? I don't give a flip how much i got to... Flack I catch for this. I'm obeying my Father. I'm doing what the Father's doing. So we're going down and you're going to get baptized today. And he joined God in what he was doing. And folks, when you minister in boldness and in truth, you join the Lord in what he was doing. I want to conclude this message today with a story of a lady from Rocky Mount. Her name was Margie Altus. I didn't meet Margie in Rocky Mount. I met her years ago in Powhatan County when I was the pastor of Red Lane Baptist Church. And we began going on the Norfolk Mission trip, which evolved into shrimp. And Margie was in her 60s. And Margie came to me and she said, I want to go on this mission trip. I can't do a whole lot. But I can wash laundry. And I will wash the team t-shirts every evening. And so Margie would collect those shirts in the evening and she would take them and she would wash them. Margie came to me after about our second, second trip she'd been on and she said, Pastor, I thought God was through with me. But I discovered that God was not through with me. He still had a work for me to do. Several years later, Margie was diagnosed with colon cancer. And I went to visit her in her home. And I never shall forget, I walked into that room, and she knew she only had a few weeks left to live. And Margie was in what I call general mentality at that point. She lay there in that bed and started giving me orders. This is what I want in my funeral service. This is the way I want it done. And I said, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. When Margie started telling you what was going to happen, you just, all you said was, yes, ma'am. And then Margie pointed over to a Bible. And she said, that's a Bible that I have. That Bible is to go into the hands of somebody. I don't know who that Bible is to go into the hands of. But pastor, after I die... You see to it that that Bible gets into the hands of the person that it is intended for. And the Lord will show you who it's supposed to be. And I reached over and I took the Bible and I didn't argue with Margie. I just took that Bible. I said, God's speaking to her and telling her that Bible's supposed to go to somebody. supposed to go to somebody. We had our funeral service a few weeks later. And about a week or two after her funeral service... I had the joy of being with my son's second grade teacher as she trusted Christ as her personal Savior. And I looked at her and I said, I had a lady in our church named Margie Altus. Margie went to heaven a few weeks ago. But Margie told me that this Bible was supposed to go to somebody. And I believe you're the person that's supposed to get this Bible. And so I handed her Margie's Bible. And she stood in my office and she just repeated Margie's name. And I saw the final, well not the final, but I saw 
the legacy of Margie's life getting in on what God was about to do and had done in that lady's life. Folks, let's get in on what God is doing, even if it's in a desert. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Lord, we don't want to miss out on what you're doing. And so, Father, for each person here, you are calling them, you are guiding them, you are directing them, you're placing opportunities underneath our noses. Jesus, we want to give you immediate obedience and join you, Jesus, in what you are doing. And Father, if that means that we pull some desert time, then Jesus, we're going to go with you to the desert. And we're going to find out, Lord, what you were doing in the desert. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus in just a moment as we sing, I want to invite you to walk the aisle of this church and I want to invite you to give your life to Jesus Christ. If the Lord is speaking to you and working in your life and you've been procrastinating and putting off, whether it's a decision for Christ, whether it's a decision to be obedient in some place, I want to encourage you to say to the Lord today that procrastination is over and the obedience to you starts right now. God's calling you to be part of our church fellowship. We invite you to come. In these moments as we pray, as we sing, May we join God in what he's doing. Lord, we praise you in your name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. Come if you will.